Premier Horgan confirms a cancer diagnosis. It's the uh, news that nobody uh, wants to hear. The outpouring of support and what he says about his treatment. A senior citizen fighting for his life. An unknown man had entered the home through an unlocked front door. The home invasion suspect caught on camera and why police say the public is still at risk. And encouraging signs in the pandemic. We are seeing cases come down quite dramatically. Where rates of infection are falling and the startling risk that remains for the unvaccinated. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Some surprising details in the latest COVID-19 modeling data we'll get to in a moment. But first, an update on the health of our Premier. Premier John Horgan confirming today he has been diagnosed with cancer. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. Obviously not the news anyone would want to hear, mm. Keith, but John Horgan says his prognosis is good. Yes, and he's remaining ever optimistic, which suits his personality. He took to social media today to thank the many people who have extended their well wishes to him since the news broke of this on Friday. And it attached to it was a statement from him saying, the pathology confirmed that the growth in my throat was cancerous. My prognosis is good, and I expect to make a full recovery. In the next couple of weeks, I will need to start radiation treatment, which should conclude toward the end of December. We caught up with, with Liberal leader Shirley Bond offering her support and NDP Deputy Premier Mike Farmer is saying basically right now it's business as usual. We are relieved to hear that the prognosis is good and uh, I want to, on behalf of our entire caucus, uh, ensure that the Premier knows that he has our support. We will um, be uh, thinking of him in the weeks and months ahead um, and I certainly look forward to a time when he will return uh, in good health to the legislature so we can continue the vigorous debate that he and I uh, usually engage in. Obviously, it's the uh, news that nobody uh, wants to hear, and it's uh, very concerning when you hear the word cancer. Uh, but that being said, uh, the Premier is uh, upbeat and in good spirits. Uh, he said that in uh, conversations with his, with his uh, 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 you know, physicians, uh, the prognosis is, is very good. Um, he participated in, uh, in caucus by Zoom uh, this morning. He participated uh, yesterday by, uh, by cabinet. And uh, he's looking to, uh, you know, getting on with the treatments and getting back to the uh, legislature as, as quickly as possible. And Premier Horgan and I had a, Twitter, a text exchange today. He texted me that he considers cancer to be yet another bump along the road. He says he's had many bumps over throughout his life and he comes out of it better for the journey. And he expects the same outcome here. Good, positive outlook, and of mm -hmm. course, we wish him the best. Thanks, yeah. Keith. Provincial health officials have released data today that slams home a simple message. Vaccines work. Transmission of COVID-19 is declining across the province. But, and it's a big one, as Richard Zussman reports, while the majority of those succumbing to the virus are older or unvaccinated, there is some surprising data on how many vaccinated people are also dying. It's the message backed by the data. The risk of hospitalization is 50 times greater than somebody the same age who's been immunized and 46 times greater risk that they're going to um, succumb to COVID. The province outlining new modeling information showing for the first time since the summer, COVID-19 cases are no longer growing in BC as vaccination rates climb to over 90% for all those eligible. 
This is the reproductive rate BC wide, now below one, meaning not every COVID case is being passed on. Where we are right now, we should continue to see a steady decline in cases and hospitalizations over the next month. But this is a fragile balance. Nowhere more fragile than in our seniors' population. In October, 179 people died in BC from the virus. The startling number, 46% of those people vaccinated, while 6% were partially immunized and 49% unvaccinated. The worry is the virus getting into the seniors' population through the unvaccinated. Of the 86 vaccinated people who died last month in BC, more than 60% were over 80 years old and 20% were 70 to 79. So we are seeing breakthrough in some people in the community in particular, um, as we see over age 70, over age 80. So it is the people around our elders and seniors who also need to be protected through vaccination. Those at risk are those with underlying health conditions. And the province says those 70 plus are about to get a boost. Our seniors and elders continue to be vulnerable, and that is why we've rolled out the vaccine um, booster dose to them. The province says seniors do not have to change their behaviour, but they should be aware of who they are around, especially when it comes to their immunisation status and the encouragement that everyone should get their shot. This is now a preventable disease, particularly severe illness, Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a quick look at today's COVID numbers. We have 596 new cases and 4,451 active cases. 438 people are in hospital, 130 of those patients in the ICU. And sadly, we've had eight more deaths due to complications of the virus. 85.6% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, the Vancouver School Board is the latest to announce that it will not be mandating COVID vaccines for its teachers and staff. The VSB says it's encouraged that close to 90% of youth and adults in Vancouver Coastal Health are vaccinated, but it had to consider the possible implications a mandate would have on the delivery of education. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry isn't worried that so many districts have opted not to require inoculation for staff, saying the decisions should reflect the risks in the various school communities. So I obviously am very strongly supportive of making sure that everybody who's eligible, all of the staff in our school system are, are vaccinated um, as the best protection for them and to make sure that we can keep our schools running and keep our children from getting sick as well. Vancouver joins the province's largest school district, Surrey, and several others in deciding against a vaccine mandate for staff. A violent home invasion in South Vancouver is prompting a warning from police about a public safety risk. An 89-year-old man is in hospital in serious condition. Ahmad Agahi is standing by with more on where this happened. And Ahmad, there is some good surveillance video of this suspect. 
Yeah, Chris, that video was taken on a neighbor's uh, surveillance uh, camera, and it's video police want you to see. Now, uh, the latest on the victim, you mentioned 89-year-old man, and his injuries are life-threatening uh, after being assaulted by a stranger who walked into this homeowner's house through an unlocked front door. This happened last Friday here in East Vancouver near East 35th and Victoria Drive, and it happened at 4.30 in the afternoon. Now, police are releasing this video of someone they say is believed to be the suspect, a male suspect and he appears to be wearing high-vis safety vest and a hard hat. Now, uh, we don't know if that's just a disguise or an actual uh, work clothes. They say this home invader walked in and when confronted, pushed the elderly homeowner to the ground. The victim fell and injured his head and the suspect had left before police arrived. This is obviously a very frightening incident for uh, this man, this victim, as well as his family. So evidence indicates that there is no relationship between uh, the suspect and the victim. It was purely a random, isolated incident. Now, that man, that suspect in the video, had left the home with some items. Police don't know exactly what was stolen. Police are saying this is a big a public safety concern, and major crime investigators are on this file asking you to call them if you know anything. Terrifying. Ahmad, let's hope they catch him quick. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, police have revealed details of a major blow to one of the province's most notorious drug gangs. Dozens of charges have now been laid against suspected members of the Brothers Keepers. And guns and more than a quarter of a million doses of fentanyl have been taken off the streets. Catherine Urquhart has more. It was a brazen, targeted hit on a street in Vancouver's Coal Harbour that killed a prominent member of the Brothers Keepers. In recent years, the gang has been increasingly linked to violence and opioid trafficking. Now a three-year investigation into their activities has resulted in six people being charged. A thorough review of the evidence, Crown Council has now laid a total of 27 criminal and drug-related charges against six individuals. Among the six charged are three women, Janat Bibi Nadim, Moshmem Kanun Khan and Tanisha Bati. Also charged with numerous offenses, Amandeep Singh Kang, Dylan Robert Ferris, and Andrew Miguel Best. We took a coordinated approach to attack this network, and really this is um, something that demonstrates our ability to hit them before they can expand into other markets. More than 11 kilograms of drugs were seized, including fentanyl, cocaine, and methamphetamine. Also seized, a loaded pistol, cash, and equipment used to produce synthetic drugs. They've made a, a little dent, for sure. That's quite a bit of fentanyl. So the way to look at it is uh, they've saved lives because I'm certain people with that fentanyl would overdose, probably hundreds. For the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, the charges are a win, but their battle against gangsters will surely remain incredibly challenging. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. More than 12 years have passed since a 33-year-old Burnaby mother was found murdered in her home. Today, her former boyfriend and ex-BC Lions player Josh Bowden was convicted of second-degree murder in her death. Jordan Armstrong has details from BC Supreme Court. It has elements of a Hollywood drama. A former pro athlete accused of being a pimp 
charged with the second-degree murder of his former girlfriend. Crown's theory was that Josh Bowden, now 34, killed Kimberly Hallgarth more than a decade ago because he was convinced she had ruined his football career by telling coaches that he was abusive to her. Beginning in 2006, Bowden had brief stints with the BC Lions and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He went on to have several run-ins with the law, convicted of sexual assault, obstruction of justice, and assaulting a police officer. In fact, when he was released on bail, Vancouver police issued a rare public safety warning. Our investigators believe that Mr. Bowden poses a significant risk to the community's safety. Kimberly Hallgarth, a 33-year-old mother, was killed at her Burnaby home in 2009. It was a cold case, though, until 2018 when ex-boyfriend Bowden was charged. A key Crown witness who says Bowden was her pimp testified during trial that she watched Bowden kill Hallgarth by choking her and stepping on her neck. Defense tried to portray the witness as unreliable, pointing out she initially told police Bowden was innocent. In finding Bowden guilty, Mr. Justice Barry Davies accepted her testimony, believing the inconsistencies could be explained by an abusive relationship. Now, in Canada, second-degree murder carries an automatic life sentence with a minimum no parole for 10 years. A date for sentencing has not been set. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Three young men have been charged following a high-profile assault at English Bay this past June. Police were called when a fight erupted involving 10 people in the early evening of June 18th. Officers tried to defuse the crowd and one man was arrested when he began causing a disturbance and refused to leave. This caused others to surround the police, creating a volatile situation. 26-year-old Anthony King and 21-year-old Chaz Verrier have been charged with assaulting a police officer and obstructing a police officer. A third man was also charged but cannot be named as he is a youth. The celebration of Diwali takes on new meaning this year. Millions around the world celebrate together after the global pandemic kept the lid on the party last year. What's planned here in B.C.? Plus... The Punjabi blockbuster filmed right here in Vancouver that's top 10 in North America. Next on the News Hour. One of BC's wealthiest philanthropists gives a huge donation to the Vancouver Art Gallery. How it will transform the space and all that's in it. And still so many questions after at least part of the mystery of a missing couple is solved. That's later. Right now, though, tonight, millions of people around the world are once again able to celebrate in person one of the most important days of the year, Diwali. That's right. The Festival of Light shining much brighter this year with fewer COVID-19 restrictions. Kamal Karamali joins us now live from Surrey with more on Diwali and the big celebration. Krish, we're at uh, Lakshmi uh, Narayan Mandir here, and as you can tell, things are very much, almost pretty much back to normal here uh, when things were virtual last year. And it's called the Festival of Lights for a reason. You light one of these, a dia, and then you put it down here, and you make a, a, a bit of a prayer, a bit of a wish for health and happiness. And uh, with COVID restrictions loosening this year, a lot of prayers have come true. In a year that saw an abundance of darkness. For many, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. And if there was any doubt that people are excited to return to the festivities, 
look at this. This was the crowd at the Lakshmi Narayan Mandir the night before. A full house with full hearts. There's a festival lights. So we have a lot of lights outside and inside the temple. And the evening, you know, like uh, we do chanting. Simran Mohan and her co-workers celebrate the festival of lights every year. But last year they were apart. It was heartbreaking. Last year we wouldn't be able to get together with my friends and family. We didn't cook together. So this year they're celebrating with a bit more flair and it sparked a bit of hope. Light is a is a symbol of hope, right? So I think <laughs> Yeah, that's giving so, us hope. Too. Uh, this is the giving of hope like we're going to get back to normal. And things seemed just like they used to for the most part. Plenty of sweets and no shortage of singing. Sharing gifts and giving donations and spending time with loved ones. But COVID has still left its mark. People are asked to wear masks and some, like this Surrey Gurdwara, are even checking for vaccine cards at the door. Please don't come who are not vaccinated. And uh, when you come in the temple, please wear the mask. Yes, it's been a difficult year. But what better way to show the worst may be behind us? This year's pupils are excited than by showing up for a holiday that celebrates light over darkness, the triumph of good over evil. We decided to come inside just to see how the celebrations are going. And you can tell it's quite packed here. There's a long lineup here. And uh, this is just the beginning. This celebration is supposed to go well into the night with more fireworks, prayers, and uh, a lot of wealth and, and health, uh, uh, wishes of wealth and health and happiness happening here as families are congregating here tonight. And uh, happy Diwali to all of our viewers and to you guys. Back over to you. All right, Kamal, thanks very much. Happy Diwali to everybody there tonight as well. We even celebrated here at work in the cafeteria with the Diwali menu. It was fantastic. We sure did. <laughs> well, employees at a Burnaby-based company are grateful to many of their customers who helped them and their families mark Diwali today. Online grocery company Spud.ca had a little celebration among its workers to mark Diwali. They also had an overwhelming response from 330 of their clients after they sent an email out to them asking them to change the delivery dates of their orders, either moving them up earlier or later in the week. That allowed some of the workers in the warehouse to take the day off in order to celebrate this special time. felt amazing. I cannot be more thankful and more happy for this company and for the customers who have decided to support this. Uh, event for us and all our team members are so happy. Oh, it was a huge surprise, but it was an amazing outcome as well. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, just an amazing experience for our team uh, and also, you know, uh, bringing out the awareness for everyone in Vancouver. Well, before this year, there were very few Indian language films that managed to crack the top 10 at North American box offices. No more. Neetu Karachanel with the story of the Punjabi film set in Metro Vancouver that has become a blockbuster. The movie is called Hansla Rak. Hansla Rak uh, means have patience. Um, have uh, patience, things will work out. 
But the film's producer, Pavan Gill, and his team didn't need much of that when it comes to seeing the fruits of their labor shortly after the release in theaters. Bye, honey, younger brother. Bye, daddy. It's breaking records in India, breaking records overseas, in Canada, UK, Australia, America. So that was beyond what we thought. Especially with a budget of about $3 million, it's competing with major Hollywood blockbusters. And the unique storyline for a Punjabi language film is likely what's resonating with so many. We've never seen a single father in Punjabi films. Uh, divorce or separation is a big um, concern in the community. That's not commercially talked about. People think of it as, oh, it's a depressing topic. But here we did it as a rom-com. We did the entire song out here. It's shot entirely in Metro Vancouver, and aside from three main characters with a local cast and crew, including Pavan Gill himself, who now works mostly in India with some of the biggest film talent in Bollywood, but was born and raised in Surrey. I'm a product of immigrant parents, and getting into entertainment space was like, what? Huh? What is that? You're going to be a doctor, lawyer, and engineer, and uh, that's what you're groomed for. Um, it was a fight. It was a fight. Uh, big support came from my father. <laughs> It's a similar story for the film's music producer. I would say, you know, generation before us, it would be kind of frowned upon to go into music. Nobody ever really thought that, you know, a kid from Surrey living out here could actually go and make it, you know, across the water, go to India and go work in the Bollywood industry. The movie, a product of the pandemic after India's COVID lockdown, pushed this film crew to leave the country and come to Canada. So it's like a COVID baby. It's helping them break both box office records and barriers. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Looks great. All right, coming up next, an attempt to cool the hot housing market. We need to make sure that the right measures are in place to help protect people's interests, New protection for buyers who feel forced to make risky bids. Also ahead, new images of a possible solution to a dangerous bottleneck near Crescent Beach. Kind of a double whammy over here at the Patello Bridge this evening. There is a police incident that actually has the bridge deck completely blocked in both directions for the time being. And then on the approach out of New West, there's a crash southbound on McBride at 6th Avenue. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One on Patello Bridge. Well, the B.C. government says it will make changes to the law to better protect buyers in today's superheated real estate market. The biggest, uh, sorry, the biggest change is establishing a cooling off period that would allow a buyer to walk away with little or no legal liability. John Waugh reports. Sorry to rain on the real estate parade. But for many, the dream of buying a home in British Columbia has become a complete nightmare. They have that kind of pressure on them, a gun to the head, basically. Property inspector Ted Gilmore has seen the deck become stacked against buyers who often feel forced into blind bids and no subject offers. The whole thing blew up and they ended up with a more than a lemon, something that needed to be fixed right away, big bucks. Making matters even worse, those who do manage to pay for a proper inspection before offers are accepted often still lose out. They don't want to go through this a third or fourth or fifth time where they're basically just paying home inspections for homes that they were never going to be able to get. The B.C. government is now hoping a cooling off period might add some consumer protection. 
to what is the biggest purchase most people will make in their lives. Giving them uh, a bit more space and a bit more time so that they can make sure that it's the right decision for them. The presale market already has a seven-day rescission period, allowing buyers to back out without a penalty. How it would look with the purchase of resale and newly built homes still has to be worked out. What would a cooling off period look like? Um, should there be a penalty for walking away from a, from an offer? What, what that might look like? So these are all com- important component parts to make sure that we get it right. Well, some argue the cooling off period would allow buyers to insist on subjects like property inspections, making it a mandatory condition of all sales and other measures like a ban on blind bidding are all on the table. But it is very daunting for sure. I had a few clients that just gave up completely and decided to rent. The BC Financial Services Authority is being tasked to consult industry stakeholders and inflation ready for next spring. Just in time for that beautiful open house weather to hopefully match a better home buying experience. John Hua, Global News. Well, the city of Surrey has unveiled what a new, much-needed overpass in Crescent Beach could look like. The overpass is considered essential for safety since there have been 16 incidents at the rail crossings in the community over the past decade that have blocked traffic, including emergency vehicles, for up to three hours. Access to and from the close to 400 properties in Crescent Beach requires crossing a BNSF rail line. The overpass, which is in the planning stages, would be over the Beecher Street crossing. We have some breaking news now that will come as a bit of a shock to a lot of people. Outspoken lower mainland COVID-19 denier and anti-vaxxer Mac Parhar has died. Uh, tributes are pouring in on Parhar's personal Facebook page, along with the Flat Earth Facebook page. Parhar has been one of BC's most prominent anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, speaking at rallies in Vancouver, even taking the province to court over its COVID policies. He appeared in BC Supreme Court in July to face charges of breaking the Quarantine Act after returning from a Flat Earth conference in South Carolina last year. Ten days ago, Parhar reported feeling ill. New Westminster police say a cause of death has not been determined. Quick programming note for you, our 2021 Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series in partnership with Fortis BC kicks off this weekend. It'll air on Global BC, BC One and CKNW. And for the four weeks, we'll be sitting down with leaders from across the province to find out how they got where they are today and hear what their advice is for others. Our first interview is with Cook P. Roseanne Kazmir, chief of the Tecumlips Tishwetmik First Nation. She speaks to our Nitu Garcha about carving her own path as a single mom and leading her community through a period of profound grief. Always being true to yourself and always finding that perfect balance of, you know, mental health and, and physical well-being to be able to also know that you have to refuel yourself before you can be able to give back to others. That's a sneak peek of the interview. It airs this Saturday, November 6th on Global BC at 1030. And you can catch the interview on BC One on Sunday at 1030, 1130 and 2.30. She's shown some pretty amazing leadership skills. Sure has. Sure. Up next, the flu makes a comeback. We didn't build up any community-based immunity from last year's virus. Why this is a very good year to get the shots if you haven't already. And in sports, a lineup shuffle. What the Canucks are doing to get that power play going.
Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash here in Coquitlam. It's affecting eastbound Highway 1 just before the Portman Bridge at the Cape Horn Interchange. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Coquitlam. On Vancouver Island, emergency crews were called out following a helicopter crash. A man was hurt when the aircraft crashed in a forested area near Nanus Bay during the noon hour. Police say he was the sole occupant of the helicopter. Two paramedic ground crews and a team in an air ambulance were dispatched to the scene. A couple reported missing in a bizarre disappearance have been located and they are safe. The couple, who recently got married were reported missing after last being seen on Halloween. Police wouldn't say why they were reported missing, but said foul play is not suspected. Police do say they've now been located and are safe, but did not provide any other details. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic overshadowed the annual flu season in 2020, and measures meant to contain COVID turned out also worked against the flu. That's right. But this year, health officials expect a resurgence of respiratory viruses. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, they're getting ready already for the onslaught. <coughs> Influenza is here. The first four lab-confirmed cases discovered in B.C. I believe it's 1B and 3As of two different, uh, one's the AH1N1 and the other is an H3N2. Healthcare providers warning this flu season could pack a punch and are reminding everyone that the flu vaccine, more than just a recommendation this winter. We expect flu to come back because we're spending more time Together, we didn't build up any community-based immunity from last year's virus. There were almost no flu cases anywhere in Canada last year. The winter of 2018-2019, there were around 40,000 confirmed cases. A year later, about the same number. Last winter, there were 69. Doctors are worried another normal year will be more than an already taxed system can handle competes for the same resources. So those who have a bad bout of influenza will potentially need ventilators. They will need ICU beds. So it's not something we should be taking lightly. Other parts of North America are dealing with a shortage of vaccine. BC offering shots to everyone six months and older for free. The provincial government says there are 2.4 million doses ordered this winter with pharmacies doling out the majority. More than a million shots uh, right now, so there's a lot of vaccine out there, and we have, we believe, uh, more than, uh, than uh, is required. The one unknown in all of this remains the mask mandate. Even as people interact more socially, the fabric in front of our noses has the potential to mute widespread transmission. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still to come, destroying stereotypes one film at a time. After 25 years of the Asian Film Festival, why the best may be yet to come. And a massive donation to move the iconic Vancouver Art Gallery into a more modern space. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers. Live on Global BC and BC One. Thursday, November 11th. 
This program is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion to honor Canada's veterans. Vancouver is one big step closer today to a brand new world-class art gallery. It's all thanks to a record-breaking donation from a person who could easily be described as the province's biggest art enthusiast. Ted Chernecki now with more on what could be a stunning addition to the downtown core. Here's the latest artist rendering of Vancouver's proposed $400 million new art gallery to be built between Canby and Beattie Street at West Georgia. It's taken on a more First Nations look with more open spaces, a wood exterior, and a layered copper-colored veil, akin to an indigenous woven blanket that changes colors depending on the angle. And this First Nations theme is one reason why Michael O'Dane had no trouble writing a check. Our family foundation will this, mo- this morning sign an agreement to support the proposed project to the tune of $100 million. I have to say $100 million is breathtaking. It is just, it's taking, I think, uh, our city, our province, and our country to a, a new place of generosity. This adds to past donations, $40 million from the Chan family, $50 million from the province, another $50 million from other individuals and foundations, and nothing from the feds. When one considers Ottawa's generous support of art gallery buildings in other parts of Canada, I am frankly puzzled that they have not yet indicated support for this project. The city of Vancouver donated the land, Larwell Park, estimated $100 million in value. Though not everyone here this morning saw it as a city donation. The provincial government gave some land. The federal government agrees. We gave the land. This isn't the first big donation from the philanthropist. The Audain Art Museum in Whistler opened in 2016. In signing this agreement, Audain said the current gallery was just too small. I think it is appalling that the present building cannot accommodate so many of the school groups that would like to visit during the course of the year. The redesigned building adds about 30,000 square feet to 330,000 now. Another 160 million still needs to be raised, and if it can, there could be shovels in the ground by this time next year with an opening by 2026. We've been paddling for a very, very long time to see brighter days, to have a sense of hope, to have elders and residents acknowledged at the Vancouver Art Gallery with world-renowned recognition across the globe. Ted Chernicki, Global News. Looks like it'll be beautiful. No doubt. Speaking of beauty, nature provided the most glorious artwork in the sky over Metro Vancouver today. And boy, did Christy get the pictures to prove it. Oh, I certainly did, Chris. I mean, it was just stunning across Metro Vancouver. It happened around 5.30 p.m. I had over 200 emails, over 50 tweets. So if you missed it, here's a quick look. This first one from Vancouver, it was a full rainbow and a double rainbow at that. Thank you to Lindsay for sharing that one with us. And an arc-en-ciel, Milan reminded me. Yes, thank you so much. Gorgeous shot as well. If you weren't able to catch the full rainbow, you may have caught a portion of it, which was also stunning. Thank you to Brett for that 
one and this one from the Langdale Ferry Terminal. So it was a mix of dark, you know, rainy clouds and some sunshine. And we certainly were uh, privy to that just before sunset. But now we've got a very heavy band that's set to move on shore. And that will push in overnight, bringing heavy rain as well as windy conditions. We'll see that through the early morning hours as well. Southeasterly winds 60 to 80 kilometers an hour. No warnings in effect. It's just slightly below warning criteria. Nonetheless, power outages are still possible. So there's the heavy band. Give yourself extra time for your commute to work. Later tomorrow, though, things start to become more spotty, similar to what we saw today. So you still need your rain jacket just in case, but there is a chance you'll see some dry patches also, as well as maybe even a break of blue sky and a rainbow or two. Across the north, some far north regions, we're looking at snowfall. We are going to see breaks of blue sky through the Okanagan Valley, and the majority of the rain for the south coast will be overnight and through the early morning hours tomorrow. Things start to break up and lighten up later in the day, but we still have pulses of heavy rain at times possible, even a risk of thunderstorms. Don't forget, we change our clocks early Sunday morning. You gain an hour's sleep, and I'll leave you with tonight's Central Windows weather window. One last look of that gorgeous. This is from Burnaby Mountain looking down. It's just wow. a stunning shot. Thank you to Anne for that one. Twitter's going a little crazy right now. Mm -hmm. Instagram with, with too. The, uh, <laughs> Rainbow pictures. All right, Thanks. Squire is here now. What do you have for us, Squire? Well, um, so the Canucks practice today, and at practice, Travis Green decided to switch up his power play personnel, and then he was asked, why did you do that? What were you hoping for? What? <laughs> <laughs> what do I hope? Yeah. Some goals. Yes, goal, which didn't happen against the Rangers the other night. And despite that win over New York, Vancouver needs something more special from its special teams. Also tonight, from documentaries to dramas, how Vancouver's Asian Film Festival is smashing stereotypes. It's just strange to see Travis Green smiling and laughing two nights in a row. In yeah, that's not... Very uncharacteristic. Yeah, he usually is fairly straight-faced about things. Not like Vanny Sartini. No. Vanny's always having a good day, but <laughs> lately Travis is, uh, you know, he's, he's finding the funny. Uh, okay, so before the season began, the Vancouver Canucks roster looked like it had the right guys for a very good power play, but recently the power play hasn't been worth the paper the roster is written on. So what's wrong? Why can't the likes of Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes be filling the net or at least bombarding the enemy every time the other team takes a penalty. Right now, Vancouver's power play is one of the least productive in the NHL. 30 seconds to go on the power play. Here's Garland from the faceoff circle. He shoots, hit the post. Special teams are often the difference between winning or losing, and the Canucks' struggling power play has cost them some points, especially on this homestand. So far in four games, the Canucks are just 1 for 15 with the man advantage, including 0 for their last 13. So Travis Green made some changes today, taking Chase on, Horvat and Hughes out of the first unit and replacing them with Besser, Garland and Oliver ekman Larson. A couple new looks. We wanted to look at it first of all. It's not necessarily, we might not stick with it. Um, when you're making some changes, you want to get a look at it. And we had some guys out there killing as well against them. <clears throat> a couple guys watching as well to make sure they know certain routes if they're put in that spot as well. I think we've had our chances, just haven't gone in. Um, I don't know. Back to Hughes, across Pedersen to Hughes. 
The Canucks had one of the best power plays in the league just two years ago when they were fourth best, but teams notice trends and defend accordingly. This year, the Canucks are ranked just 23rd with six goals on 38 chances, but certainly more than ever, the Canucks have the personnel for two very strong power play units. You know, we were sitting in here with the power play, you know, meeting today, and there's a lot of talent in that room, and, you know, a lot of guys can play in a lot of different places, so once we find that chemistry, I'm sure we'll take off and we'll be fine. What do I hope? Yeah. Some goals. See? He's all happy. Uh, after months of trying, the Buffalo Sabres finally traded Jack Eichel. He will go to Vegas for a package of players and draft picks. We'll show you the uh, package in a moment. And now Jack Eichel can get that disc replacement surgery in his neck. And that's why he and the Sabres had a falling out. Because Buffalo didn't want him to have that surgery they wanted him to have a fusion surgery instead. So with the surgery, Eichel will be out of the Vegas lineup for at least four months, which means he might be able to play in March. But getting someone of Eichel's talents is worth the wait for the Golden Knights. He's in his prime years. He's one of the best centers in the NHL when he's 100%. And on the surface, if he comes back fine from this surgery, it'll be a great deal for Vegas. So what does Buffalo get out of this? Well, they get Alex Tuck, who's injured right now as well. He'll be back in January. Peyton Krebs used to play for um, Kootenai. Bit of a two-way center. He's not going to fill the net for you, but they do get two draft picks, high draft picks, a first-rounder and a second-rounder. All right, Lightning and Leafs tonight. Mitch Marner and Toronto taking on uh, Tampa Bay, and it's Corey Perry, one of the old boys, finding Pat Maroon. Scores. one nothing for Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay could not add another goal. And Toronto eventually caught up. But before we show you that, Mikhail Sergachev with the shoulder right to the chin of Mitch Marner. That was a two-minute penalty. Marner is okay. So final minute, Toronto pressing for the equalizer. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, well. I will tell you that Toronto did get the equalizer, and then they won the game in overtime. So the final was... 2-1 for the Maple Leafs. All right. Uh, ticket sales are going pretty good for the Whitecaps' final home game of the season against Seattle. It's 3 o'clock on Sunday. The Whitecaps need just a tie to make the playoffs. The sad thing is the Whitecaps are not going to get a home game in round one of the playoffs. It will be a road game no matter what. And this contest against Seattle is not going to be easy. Seattle never is. But think of it this way. In their last 21 games, Vancouver has 10 wins, 9 ties, and 2 losses. One of those losses was to Seattle, and it was a big beatdown. 4-1 back on October 9th. And the Sounders need a win to guarantee first place in the West. So they're not taking this one lightly. They're coming into Vancouver heavy. But if they beat the Whitecaps, Vancouver can get in the playoffs through the side door. Let me explain what I mean. So let's say they lose to the uh, Sounders. If LAFC draws or loses to Colorado, Real Salt Lake draws or loses to Sporting Kansas City, Vancouver's in. Or if you add in the LA Galaxy losing to Minnesota and one of those other things happening, Vancouver is in. They need two of three things to happen there. Okay, Major League Soccer has hired a law firm out of Toronto to look into the Whitecaps' handling of misconduct allegations against former women's team coaches Bob Berarda and Hubert Busby Jr. in 2008 and 2011. All findings, all recommendations, when they are made, will be put out in the public. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. Up next, a milestone year for the Vancouver Asian Film Festival and how one ambitious backer thinks Hollywood North needs to think even bigger.
The Vancouver Asian Film Festival is celebrating a milestone of 25 years showcasing local talent. And in that quarter century, it has torn down stereotypes and put Vancouver on the map as a major force in filmmaking. Tonight on This is BC, Jay Durant takes us behind the scenes. The Wing Wing Sausage Company in Vancouver's Chinatown has been in business for almost a century, but the family owners are planning to close down next year. So director Kimberly Ho wanted to make sure the history was captured in her new documentary to make ends meet. It's a story of a humble family that came from Canton to Vancouver, started with a small little butcher shop to now an international business. This is one of two films sponsored by local businessman Richard Wong that will be debuting at this year's Vancouver Asian Film Festival. From the, uh, Wong has big years. hopes for the growth of the movie industry within the community. Just the, just the baby, baby beginning. You know, look at that. The producer, they're so young. Now in its 25th year, the festival is seeing a lot of new talent emerge. Local filmmakers have been inspired by several recent productions shown through a different cultural lens. <laughs> Movies that have had huge international success. Parasite won last year for best film. Um, Minari won a Golden Globe. <laughs> There's just so much happening. I'm not pretty, I'm good looking. Do you know? Showcasing local talent, Trailblazin's screen debut this year will put the spotlight on a Vancouver hip-hop artist who's been working hard to be heard. The Asian community is not just business people. The model minority sort of stereotypes. They are in all creative industries and arts as well. And here's just one person that we've highlighted. I'm an Asian-Canadian creator coming out of Vancouver just trying to make it. The festival's silver anniversary showcases some visionary ideas, helping fuel the dreams of its lifetime benefactor, that Hollywood North can become far bigger than ever before. Ultimately, through the collective effort of the film industry in Vancouver, Vancouver will become the Hollywood of the world. Jay Durant, Global News. I love it. Hollywood of the world. Mm -hmm. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that we need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. So much great culture in this province. And happy Diwali to everybody celebrating tonight as well. I wore the marigold mm. tie. Looks like Gordo's got some goldy orange on. That's all good. Mind you, that's a raincoat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very necessary tonight. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Right. Have a good night. Good night, all.